it's great to be with you guys uh, again. I was here around this time last year, start of November, I think it was. So it's great to be able to come back and uh, see a couple of familiar faces uh, and get to know a few new people as well. Um, I've loved what God's doing this morning already from uh, hearing the, the stories that we heard right at the start of the service and those just really kind of, for me, captured in that phrase that there is, uh, there is hope. Uh, and even as Pete was praying earlier, he was just praying that there is hope. There is hope in the name of Jesus. There is hope in what Jesus has done. There's hope for us. There's hope for our friends. There's hope for those Christians. There's hope for those ISIS members. And it's it's a bit of a strange thing to wrestle with. And But it does tie in with what I wanted to share with you this morning as well, um, which is very simply this, that my message this morning was to say there is Hope. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke uh, 23. Do grab your Bibles and uh, turn there if you want to. We're going to read that in a moment. It's a, an incredible part of the of the story of when Jesus was being crucified. And uh, we find in this story, uh, I'm just going to focus on the very little bit which talks about how when Jesus was crucified, there were two criminals who were crucified alongside him. And uh, there's this uh, kind of really challenging and comforting words that Jesus speaks in the midst of this uh, atrocity, this terrible situation that's happening where he speaks to one of the criminals and says, today, you will be with me in paradise. And I think those are profound words and a real challenge to us. And certainly it's, it's challenged me when I've looked at those words before and maybe you've thought yourself, like, why is that criminal given that opportunity? Why is that criminal who has done nothing that we know of to deserve the grace and the love and the forgiveness of God, and yet in his, in his last moments, in his last breath, he still gets uh, a word from Jesus which brings hope to his situation, that even though he's about to die, death is not the end, and there is still hope. And uh, maybe you've question that yourself. And I wanted to just kind of wrestle with that and address that this morning because, of course, with Jesus, there is always hope. And uh, and that criminal did deserve uh, to receive that message of hope just as much as any of us did. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you can relate this morning to uh, a story about criminals. Uh, I've, I've had a few dabbles with the police in my time. Thankfully, I've only been caught once. Um, <laughs> And it wasn't for anything too serious. Uh, when I was around 17, I remember uh, going to a friend's house. They said they were going to be in. And uh, when m- me and my friend got there, they, they didn't seem to be in, although I was convinced. Well, they said they were going to be in. They said, yeah, come around. There was lights on in the house somewhere. So it was at night time. The rest of the house was dark. And I was convinced that they were hiding from us. And so I wanted to find them. And so I did... I did the only logical thing that you can do when you see that there seems to be lights on in the house but you can't tell if anyone's home, I shimmied up the drain pipe and climbed onto the balcony and started looking through the windows like, I'm sure they're in there somewhere. And of course, you can guess what happens next is two police cars turn up. And the neighbor who had been watching me do all this decided that I was trying to break in and commit a burglary and so the police came and took us away and uh, it was... It was quite an exciting experience. I'm not going to lie. I, I felt like 
somehow in my in my youthful vigor that I hadn't done anything wrong. I was just looking for my friend, but the police saw it differently, and uh, I got to sit in the in the interview room and be asked all these questions. I find the whole experience quite fun. I'm not recommending going and doing something so that you can experience it, but but it was quite fun. And I think the policeman kind of looked a little strangely at me when when they uh, you know they get you to the desk and you have to turn out your pockets. And and in my pockets was I had a New Testament Bible, tattered and torn, and put that on the side. I had a little teddy bear that sat in my pocket in my coat, and put that on the side. I was like, that's all I got. I got a teddy bear and a Bible. <laughs> Do, do I look like a criminal to you? <laughs> Needless to say, uh, it got cleared up and they let me go. Um, not before my dad found out. <laughs> and uh, the, the punishment that he, he inflicted was far worse than anything the criminal courts could have ever done. Uh, that makes it sound terrible. He wasn't. He didn't beat me or anything. It was just I was uh, I was grounded for many weeks and, and felt his wrath and his scorn and his shame. Um, that that is kind of the extent of my brush with the law, really, which is which is actually not that bad, is it? But when we read the story, and we're going to read the story in a moment. We see the story of two criminals who, who presumably are getting what they deserve. Presumably, they have been caught, they have gone to trial, they have been found guilty, and they are receiving the punishment which was due them. And in that day and, and at that time, that was death. They received the death penalty. So these two criminals who, by all accounts, had got what the law required of them. They had committed a crime. They had done wrong in the eyes of the law, which is also, therefore, in the eyes of God. And they were being punished justly for what they had done. So Jesus, who is being punished unjustly for what he has done, he has done nothing wrong. And yet here he is, hung up on a cross between the two criminals. And yet Jesus speaks into this moment. And I find it incredibly profound, you know, that Jesus actually, in, in as he's hanging there on the cross in one of his weakest moments, in, in one of his most vulnerable times, in when he's moments from death, when he's being humiliated, and yet Jesus can still speak with absolute power and absolute authority. Now, who else but Jesus could turn to a criminal dying on a cross and say, today, you will be with me in paradise. And, and not just have the confidence to say it, but have the authority to say it and for it to be true. You see, we can so easily, as, as has just been said, we can so easily think that some people are just too far gone to ever find God. That some Sins are too big to ever be forgiven that there's, there's no place for some people like those ISIS members who have captured Christians. That there's no place for people like that. Maybe you've even thought that about yourself. That you're too far from God. That there's sins that are too hard to be forgiven. That there's no place in heaven for you. But I want to tell you and I want to encourage you and remind you this morning that the cross is a message of hope. And it's hope for everyone. And hope for everyone. You know what that, that, when I say that, what that thing, thing in my mind that conjures up is, is that is a, a comfort and a challenge. Because if it's hope for everyone, that includes you. That whatever your circumstances, whatever your situation, whatever you're facing, that includes you. There is hope for you in Jesus. And what he's done on the cross today, you can take comfort in the fact there is hope for you. Because there is hope for everyone. But it's also a challenge. 
Because it does also mean there's hope for those people who we would find hard to forgive. There's, there's hope for our worst enemy. There's hope for the worst people who, who show the worst of human behavior, and yet there's still hope for them. And that's a challenge to us sometimes. Let's read the passage from Luke 23 together. Um, We're not going to read the whole story because I do want to really focus just on these criminals, but you'll read earlier in Luke 23 that they have uh, committed the crime, that they've been brought forward, that they have been uh, um, brought for execution and hung either side of Jesus. And then picking up from verse 39, it's there on the screen if you need it. I'll read it from the NIV here. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. But we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man... Talking about Jesus here. This man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I love these uh, verses because it's such a, such a challenge to us, such a powerful story, such a demonstration of the authority that Jesus has. Because the reality is that whenever Jesus speaks, whenever J- Jesus gets involved in any situation, things always change. They can never be the same. I don't know if you've ever realized that or you've experienced that. But when you invite Jesus into your situation, things can never be the same. They will always change, and usually for the better, if we listen to what he says. When Jesus speaks, things will always change. And whether that's changing a bad situation and using it for good, if we allow Jesus to have the authority to speak into that situation, he will change it for good. Whether it's, whether it's, uh, Jesus, the only one who can take death and bring life. He's the only one who can take our sorrow and turn it into joy. He's the only one who can take our mourning and turn it into dancing. Jesus is the only one who can take something that is broken, destitute, destroyed, and can fix and restore. He's the only one who can take what's been rejected. And he can bring it back into the kingdom of God. He's the only one who can take an orphan, an outcast, and call them a son and a daughter of the living kid, king. And Jesus is the only one who can take a criminal and choose to speak a different message over him. So that instead of being labeled a criminal, he's now called a co-heir with Christ. That's the transformation power that Jesus has. That's the transformative word that he can speak over any situation, over every situation, over your situation or mine. That when Jesus gets involved, everything will change. But we've got, in this story, we've got two criminals. And they have the same punishment. Potentially, they've committed the same crime. They've been caught. They've been trialed. They've been found guilty. And they're receiving their punishment. And yet the response from the two criminals is very different. 
And why is it that they respond different ways? And, uh, and how do those responses affect the outcome of the rest of their lives, albeit fairly short? And I wanted to just delve into that for, for a few moments with us this morning. The first criminal, he, they're nameless to start off with. And I find that, you know, the, the Bible writers, they could have found out the, these people's names. We, we hear about the names of many of the other characters that, that Jesus encounters. But these guys are just called criminal. I mean, they're, they're literally defined by the biggest mistake that they've made in their life. And the first criminal, when he encounters Jesus, his, his response to Jesus is just one of complete arrogance. He's rude. He, he's, he's blind to the truth of who Jesus is. He mocks Jesus. And I think, well, wh- why is he doing that? So this guy... He's obviously done something bad. Whether he was bad his whole life or he just did this one thing, we don't know. But he's obviously done something which was wrong, which was bad, which was, which was bad enough to deserve the death penalty. He's been punished for that. There's no escaping that this is what he deserves. And yet he is not an ounce of remorse. It, it, he's, he's, he's living out the consequences of his, of his bad actions, of his sin, and yet... Even as he's about to take his final breath, there is no sense in him that thinks, well, maybe I've done this wrong. He's still being arrogant. He's still being rude. He's still looking to Jesus and saying, I'm better than you. And I'm not going to even acknowledge who you are. You're just some other guy and I'm going to mock you. He's completely rude to him. But do you know what? I, I love what he says because... It's, a, it's an amazing kind of juxtaposition of what he says and what Jesus is actually doing. He, he mocks Jesus and says to him, you know, why don't, if you're the son of God, why don't you save yourself? Why don't you save us? It's like, oh, go on then, show us you're almighty and all-powerful. Now, who does that when they're down, when they're at their worst, when they're at lowest, and then they just choose to lash out to other people? But the, but the beautiful thing is that Jesus could have, at any point, climbed off that cross He had all the power and all the authority that was given to him from his father in heaven. At any moment, he could have changed the circumstances and the situation. But Jesus knew that if he climbed down off that cross in that moment and saved himself from what he was about to experience, well, then he wouldn't have been able to save anyone else. When the very fact that Jesus stayed on the cross is the reason that he was able to save everyone who would call on the name of Jesus. The criminal mocks him and says, why don't you save yourself and save us? But the the fact that Jesus stayed on the cross means that's exactly what he was doing. He was providing a situation where they could be saved if they would just turn to him and ask for him to come into their lives, to speak truth and have authority over their lives. It's incredible blindness from that criminal to have Jesus and all the power and all the authority that Jesus possessed in front of him. And yet still to say, I don't really want anything to do with you. In fact, I'm just going to mock you. But the second criminal, and this is the guy who who I really wanted to, to talk about this morning. The second criminal has an entirely different response. And, you know, I've looked at this passage a number of times and, and I've often wondered, like, how come he got to be in paradise? Like, 
there was no gospel preached. There was no message of salvation. There, there didn't seem to be a, you know, repentance. It, like all the things that we normally expect, we, 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 we ask people to do to become Christians. We don't really see any of that. But actually, having looked at the text and looked at what he's saying and kind of reading into the heart of, of what's happening there. Actually, I think this is a really beautiful picture and a really beautiful snapshot of really what it does mean and what it does take to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I think the criminal, in his words that he spoke, shows us beautifully how we can respond to Jesus. He says uh, three things. First thing that he says is this. He, he says he recognizes that God is real. First thing he says to his criminal friend is, don't you fear God? Now, that may seem like a simple phrase, but you wouldn't say, don't you fear God, if you didn't believe that God was real. Because if you didn't think God was real, then of course you wouldn't fear God. So, so in saying that, he's already acknowledging that God is real. But not just that God is real, but that God is someone that we should fear. And I don't mean that in a, like, he's scary in a Halloween kind of way, but like the, the, the reverence towards God, the holy fear towards God, because he is almighty, he is all-powerful, he can do all things. And so there is a holy fear that we should carry when we think about who God is. And the criminal recognizes that. In his words, what he's saying is, I recognize that God is real and someone who we should have a healthy, holy fear of. The second thing he says, again to his friend, is we are being punished justly. Now what that phrase says to me is is a couple of things. It says that he recognizes that he has done wrong and he recognizes that ultimately, we put it in, in our lingo, that he's a sinner. He has sinned and he is a sinner. He has done wrong and he has been punished for that wrongdoing. He recognizes, first of all, that God is real and that he himself is a sinner. The first criminal didn't even acknowledge that. The first criminal had done the same things but had no acknowledgement from him that he had done wrong. And so there wasn't much room for him to receive Jesus because he didn't even recognize that he was a sinner in the first place. But the second criminal acknowledges that God is real and that he himself is a sinner. And then the third thing that he says, he turns to Jesus and he speaks to him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now again, what he says tells us what he believes. What he believes is that Jesus is king. Because you don't say to somebody when you come into your kingdom, if you don't think that they have a kingdom that they rule over and that they're the, they're the authority that they're the king of. So he's saying, I recognize you, Jesus, as a king who has a kingdom. You have authority and power. But he doesn't just acknowledge that Jesus is a king of a kingdom. He also recognizes that they're all on a cross. They're all about to die. And so when he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, he's recognizing that death isn't the end for Jesus. How profound is that? That a man hanging on the cross would look at Jesus and see him, maybe for the first time, have a full reality check. His eyes open and go, oh, you are far more than a man. You're a king. But you're not just a king who rules an earthly kingdom. You're a king who has a kingdom that is beyond this world, a heavenly kingdom. 
and you're about to enter into your kingdom, that death is not the end for you, it's only the beginning, you're about to go into a whole new experience of what life can be all about. And he asks Jesus, remember me. He's basically asking Jesus, would you, would you acknowledge me? When you go to your kingdom, will I be included in that? Would you, would you see me? Would you invite me in? If I came to the, to the gates of your kingdom, would you turn me away or would you remember me and invite me in? In those simple words, the criminal is saying, God, you're real. I'm a sinner. Jesus is king. And I'm asking him if I can come into his kingdom. Now, what more of a simple explanation of the gospel do we need? That when we are sharing our faith and we're sharing the love of Christ and the message of the cross with people who don't know Jesus, let's not make it hard for them. Because people don't need barriers, they don't need hurdles, and they don't need obstacles. What they need is a message of hope. And that's exactly what the cross does. That for anybody, no matter how far gone they are, no matter what they've done, no matter how stubborn they've been in this sin, no matter how many times they've messed up, there is still a message of hope. And all you have to do is acknowledge that God is real, that you are a sinner, and that Jesus is the king who you submit to. And if you're willing to do that, oh, it suddenly makes sense. Of course, when Jesus hears those words, he can turn and say to him, you've got it. You've got it. You've understood it. You may have just committed a crime and you're being punished for that crime. I get that that's something that's had to have happened to you, but you've got it. You realize God's in charge. I am the king of the kingdom of heaven, and you were willing to submit to me, well then, come on in. You are welcome into my kingdom. So for that criminal on a cross, who's hanging there, he's in his final moments, he's a few breaths away from death, and yet he finds hope that is everlasting, hope that is eternal, hope that will carry him into the kingdom of God from this life to the next. And the thing about this story is actually when we stop and we, we think about it and we maybe think about ourselves and when we really look at who Jesus is and what he's done and we have that kind of that eye-opening reality check moment that the criminal had on the cross, probably what also happens is there's that realization that we deserve to be punished like that too, that actually we deserve to be on that cross, that we deserve death for our mistakes, our sin, our disobedience to God. We deserve it just the same. Actually, that criminal on the cross was no worse than you or me. In God's eyes, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we too can choose to respond to the love that Jesus extends by dying on the cross? Do we choose to ignore him, to reject him, or even mock him? Or do we choose to submit to him? To say, I can't change anything about my life, but I invite you, Jesus, to speak a better word over my situation. 
And I just want to encourage you guys this morning, uh, hopefully it's given you a, an idea and a reminder of how good God is and, and how amazing the gospel is and, and what hope there is in Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, whatever your circumstances, whatever your past mistakes, whatever your present troubles, whatever your future worries, put your hope in Jesus. Because he's the only one who can save. He's the only one who can turn your situations around. He's the only one who can speak a better word into that situation and take a bad thing and make it good. If you're putting your hope in anything else, it will fall, it will fail, it will let you down. If you're putting your hope in, you know, maybe it's that that next promotion, maybe it's that financial security, the next relationship you have, the next house that you buy, the, the next... Uh, security that you're looking for, the next piece of escapism that you're trying to find in some situation, whether it's in popularity or whether it's in in socializing, whatever the situation, if your hope is in circumstances or things of this world, those things will let you down. But Jesus will never let you down. Because when you put your hope in him, you'll never be disappointed. And I wanted to finish by just uh, grounding this into uh, real life, into reality for today. And I thought the easiest way to do that was to show you a short video. Uh, and this is a video of two friends of mine called Cyril and Laura. And uh, I feel this connects because Cyril and Laura, they're going to just, it's a quick short video. It's going to share some of their experiences and their journey and their life and how they found hope in God when they were in a hopeless situation. I have the privilege of working uh, alongside these guys and calling them my friends. Uh, and I just watched the video and see how God brings hope to situations. At 12 years old, my childhood was snatched away from me. Sexually abused and broken, I turned to drink and drugs to numb the pain. My whole life was in pieces. The drink and the drugs weren't taking the pain away anymore. I turned to self-harming and I eventually ended up in prison on a suicide watch. I knew my life really needed to change. I'd been a heroin addict for 17 years. Things got so bad that I was in a mental hospital with drug-induced psychosis. Basically, my life was a mess. It got to the point where I thought I would either kill myself, kill somebody else, or be killed. But all that changed when I heard about Jesus. I spent the next 18 months getting my life sorted out through a Victory Outreach recovery programme. While in prison, a brave old lady visited me and told me about Jesus. She told me that Jesus died for me. All the pain I was carrying, he put on the cross for me. That day, I asked Jesus into my life. When I came out of prison, I met an amazing woman of God, Laura. She's now my wife. Victory Outreach and the Message partner beautifully. And Cyril and I both now work at the Message Trust. I'm a stylist at Shine Hearing Beauty. And Cyril works as part of the facilities team. We both have such a passion to tell people about Jesus. 
God has turned our mess into a message and we just want to reach as many people as we can. In our spare time, we use every opportunity to minister together, speaking in prisons and schools, and we both serve at a soup kitchen for the homeless in Rochdale. When I look back and see what God has done in both our lives and see what he's continuing to do through us as a couple, it's genuinely amazing. Cyril and Laura there, an amazing couple who say I get the privilege of working alongside regularly um, as part of the message Trust in Manchester. Uh, I love that story because uh, just like the criminal that was on the cross, he was able to turn their mess into a message. I think the criminal on the cross, had he lived beyond that day, he probably would have had a similar story to share like uh, Cyril and Laura, that God can take any situation, any kind of brokenness, any kind of person And he can turn it around. When people realize who he is, what he has done for them when he died on the cross. That's why the cross is a message of hope. That's why today we can have hope. Because when we put our hope in Jesus, we're not putting our hope in something that has no substance. We're putting our hope in something. We're putting our hope in someone who has shown us that they have the power and authority. That when Jesus says things like, today you can be with me in paradise... He has authority to say that because of what he did on the cross. And when he died on the cross and he took our sin, he took our shame, he took our brokenness and he took it on himself and died and he took all of that sin and that shame and that brokenness and buried it in the ground and then rose again three days later proving he was the son of God and that through him we too can have relationship with the father. We can put our hope in Jesus, and that hope will never disappoint. Cyril and Laura, people who were criminals, drug addicts, suicidal, hopeless, but then God spoke. And it's true for all of us. Without Jesus, we're all broken in some way, but with Jesus, we can be restored. Without Jesus, we're all desperate, but Jesus gives us a destiny. Without Jesus, we're all outcasts of society, but with Jesus, we belong to the family of God. Without Jesus, there is no hope. There is nothing that will provide the hope and the answers that we need. But with Jesus, there is always hope. And he's able to turn our hopelessness into a message of hope that we can share with others. And I want to finish just by saying this. You do not have to hit rock bottom like the criminal or like Cyril and Laura for you to cry out and find hope in Jesus. That is not the point of this story. If you have hit rock bottom, by all means, please turn to Jesus and put your hope in him. But let's not wait until we hit rock bottom because Jesus can bring hope into every situation and every part of our lives at every part of our lives, every stage of our lives, he's just there. He's always there. He can help us in every situation. You too can have paradise, metaphorically speaking. You can have paradise today. You can find life in Jesus for every situation of your life if we're willing to trust him and to call him Lord of those situations.